Welcome everyone, so glad you're logging on as we continue to look at the time when the devil and all his fallen angels and demons are no longer on earth tormenting humanity with their build back better schemes. A time when Jesus conquers them all, sets up his millennial kingdom, when the earth returns back to the days like it was in the Garden of Eden for 1,000 years, then the devil is released again. Wait a minute, you say. Why in the world will the devil be released again? Well, we're going to look at this and more today on The Christian Marauder in episode 25 entitled Satan's Revenge. With that, get your Bibles out. Turn to Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 and 3 and let's find out right now. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Then he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. What's that? He must be released for a little while? What's going on here? Why? In the world would the Lord want to release the devil at all? This has puzzled scholars and Bible teachers for ages with very little clarity on this subject that's ever really gone in depth and actually explained about it. For me, it has taken just over 30 years to begin to grasp just one quarter of a small grain of sand on why the devil would be released back into the earth to wreak havoc again. So let me share with you what I found so far and see if it makes sense to you. So with that, let me give you a brief backdrop. The harlot system and all the fallen angels, as we saw in Revelation chapter 19, all the demons are sent into the abyss for trying to draw God back to earth in order to defeat God, chop up his order, design, rule, and people, and build a new creation out of the parts of God's old system. The same template as all those ancient creation stories in the Baal cycle indicate. For that they are cast into the abyss including the devil and then after 1000 years the devil is released out of the abyss. So again comes the big question why? So with that let me give you a few clues and the first is uncovered in Isaiah chapter 13 verses 11 and 12 and I quote from the New King James. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their, their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Note, this happened in Revelations chapters 15 through 19 at the outpouring of God's wrath, and the result of all this is seen in verse 12. Just listen real carefully to verse 12. I'll make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophor. That's out of the New King James Version. These two verses have not happened yet, but we are, since we're peering into the future, into the millennial kingdom and trying to understand why the devil has been released, they start to make more sense because after God's wrath is poured out, mortal men and women are rare as hen's teeth. That's what it's saying right here. How does all this relate to the devil being released back into the world? Well, we have to look at another source, and people get mad when I refer to other sources outside the Bible, but you have to go from sources that are actually quoted in the Bible as reference tools, like the Book of Jubilees, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jasher, which they have some quotes and some correlation and truth in them, okay? They're not canon of Scripture. No, 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 no. They're not canon of Scripture. I myself don't lift them up on that level. But they do provide insight into things that we just miss. And it helps explain things. These are the sources that scholars use as well to explain 
what's going on. Okay, so let's look at the book of Jubilees, chapter 10, verses 6 and 12, for a second clue as why the devil is being released. So Jubilees, chapter 10, verses 6 through 12, starts off with a, uh, with a prayer by Noah, and then we see some angels intervening and saying their, their take on the matter as well. So let me uh, start in verse 5. And you know your watchers, the fathers of these spirits, acted in my day. And as for these spirits which are living, imprison them and hold them fast in the place of condemnation. Let them not bring destruction on the sons of your servant, my God. For these are malignant and created in order to destroy. And let not them rule over the spirits of the living. For you alone can exercise dominion over them. And let them not have power over the sons of the righteous from henceforth and forevermore. So in verses uh, 5 and 6, Noah has his peace. Now angels will start to talk and give their peace on the matter here and what God says. So the Lord our God bade to bind all. So God speaking to his angels here. And the chief of the spirits, Mastima, came and said, Yahweh, Lord Creator, let some of them remain before me and let them listen to my voice and do all that I shall say unto them. For some of them are not left to me. I shall not be able to execute the power of my will on the sons of men. For these are for corruption and leading astray before my judgment. For great is the wickedness of the sons of men. Note, Mastima means prince of strife, enmity, and antagonism, like I said in one of the earlier episodes, okay? And I quoted the very same verses here. So let's look at verse 9. And he said, And the Lord God said, Let a tenth part of them remain before him, and let nine parts descend into the place of condemnation. And one of us commanded that we should teach Noah and all their medicines, for God knew that he they would not walk in uprightness, nor strive in righteousness. In verse 11, And we did according to all his words, and all the malignant evil ones were bound in the place of condemnation, and the tenth part of them we left, that they might be subject before Satan on earth. Again, this is very important to understand. In, in Bible prophecy, like Jesus said in uh, Revelation 19, 19, you have to look at the past, look at the flow of history, then to understand what's happening in the future. This looks at the past, so we can understand... A prophetic pattern we'll see in the future here too. The book of First Enoch explains that uh, 200 of the captains of 10 are this crowd that got cast into the abyss. But in Jubilees chapter 10 reveals that 10% were, were released to help the devil out. Why? Jubilees verse 10 shares why God knew that human sin nature would not walk in uprightness nor strive in righteousness. He just knows that. So the devil played the human sin card to get himself and a few others out of a jam by playing on God's nature of fairness toward humanity. So to give you an idea, I think the devil would probably reason like this. He would say, you know, if you wipe out humanity because of their sin nature, then you can't keep your word that you promised them in, the, in Genesis chapter 1 about having dominion over the earth. And basically, you ain't God. He's playing that card against well, folks, I know that's kind of hard to fathom right now, but just keep tracking with me. We'll explain this as we go along. Well, the same principle is seen in Revelations chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, with one big, huge difference. The devil will not be allowed to hide behind any of his henchmen who pit God's laws and character and nature against each other. These entities are gone. There's no standing before God and getting 10% back. They're a mamoose. They're in the abyss, locked away for eternity. Some of them are swimming laps in the lake of fire at this time. You should shout hallelujah for that. This means that the devil will have no one to hide behind as a scapegoat to avoid God's final sentence and wrath as he 
did before that we just saw in the book of Jubilees chapter 10. So I suggest everyone listening to me right now to examine God's character traits and nature revealed in the Bible because with God there's no shadow of turning away from his own nature and character. Why? Because God cannot deny who he is and all that he is. If he denied humanity the ability to have exercised dominion on the earth that God spoke, then God cannot be God. When God's going to carry out his word and have man fulfill that at all costs in a beautiful way, we will see in this episode. We'll see this shortly in this episode. God will never turn away from being just, merciful, graceful, hating evil because it attacks his love. He leaves no stone unturned. He is faithful, true, righteous, holy. He cannot lie. He keeps his word. God acts true to his word. And his word speaks that absolute justice demands a threefold witness to sentence one to die. What am I talking about? Well, God lives true to himself or he ceases to be God. He has to live true to himself in all cases, always, and keep it and fulfill it. In that, the devil schemes to entrap God to act counter against God's own nature and even in God's dealing with the devil. Okay, the devil's that crafty. The devil is the ultimate narcissist, folks, who seeks to avoid direct responsibility for hurting, enslaving, and tormenting people by hiding behind others to do his dirty work for him so he can get away with the scheme. That's what happened in Genesis chapter 6. God's oneness is defined by his triune nature. He lives true to that. Therefore, the perfect justice of God is also has a triune nature to it. This is seen in the Torah in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 6 and 7 concerning a threefold witness needed to condemn somebody to death. God has a threefold witness that he's going to use to stop the devil. God can only swear an oath of justice to himself. He is one God, but he's also a tri-natured spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can't get into the doctrine of the Trinity now. I try and I'll just stumble around for hours here. The first witness that testifies against the devil and, and what his henchmen did to humanity is none other than the Holy Spirit that is actually mentioned in Genesis chapter 6-3. I bet you did not know that. Look at Genesis chapter 6 verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And the Lord instituted judgment later uh, because uh, humanity and the and fallen watchers interacted with each other and violence increased on the earth. So the first judgment was against the fallen humanity as well as the fallen watchers. Okay, that's the first judgment. The second witness that came is Jesus who, when he came on earth and he exposed evil and what evil does and the works of the, the devil does on the cross. Okay. In fact, John chapter 12, verse 31 points this out where it says, and Jesus says this in John chapter 12, verse 31. Now this is judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Okay. Also in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says that the cross made a public spectacle of these watchers, these fallen angels, these entities, these demonic hosts, and exposed them for who and what they are. Okay. So right now, we have two witnesses that continue to this very day to witness against the atrocities of the evil one against humanity, as well as humanity's own atrocities against each other to this very day. You have the Holy Spirit and Jesus who witnesses against the continued evil of the devil and humanity, as well as and witnessing the fact of God's forgiveness and reconciliation to man in order that God will keep his word. 
spoken in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. With that, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6 and 7 in the Torah here in the Old Testament. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. I want to roll that around your head in verse 7. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. In the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, it talks about 10,000 times 10,000 angels and 10,000, 10,000 followers of, of, of God are all going to judge angels. Think about it. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. Just think about that. Keep tracking with me here. But there is a third witness before sentencing the devil to his demise and that is the father's witness in revelation chapter 20 verse 7 through 10 we see god the father himself being that third witness against the devil so the question comes why to understand why we need to take a pause before continuing to grasp why the devil will be released again god and his wisdom changes the flow of revelation chapter 20 in verses 4 and 6 it's all of a sudden it just doesn't fit and it picks up in, in verses 7 and so forth about the devil and why he's released. But to, in order to understand why the devil is released, you got to go back and look at verses 4 and 6. That's this interruption and break it down to understand what's going on. So God in his wisdom changes the flow of revelations in these verses to lay a foundation so we can understand why the devil is released again. We need this foundation in order to continue so you can grasp, like I did with a small grain of sand of understanding, why the devil is being released again. It doesn't make sense why he would be released again, but now the Lord's going to unpack this. So Revelations chapter 20, verse 4, keep tracking here, out of the New King James here. And then I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or of their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So folks, that's telling me right there. The Son and Holy Spirit and a great cloud of witnesses are going to witness against all the devil and all the minions and all this at a particular time, okay? And that's just at the ushering in of the millennial kingdom, okay? And then it says, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So at the beginning of the thousand-year reign of Jesus, all witnesses against evil testify. So folks, what happens here is Jesus will dispense with the wicked, just as Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4 and 5 says, out of the New King James. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with his rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. So what happens here, folks, there's going to come a point in the millennial reign that the Lord's going to uh, rule the nations with a rod of iron. Let's keep tracking with me. So, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, ends with these words, And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay? All of a sudden, with that one little phrase, the, the millennial 1,000-year reign that the Bible talks about, the reign of Christ, will kick in. And the Bible describes what the millennial reign will be like at that time. And this is very important. I know your head's spinning right now, but let's keep going. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 and 9 from the New King James. 
And the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the nursing child will play by a cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hands in the viper's den, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. The millennial 1,000 year reign, and I'm not too concerned about if it's a literal 1,000 year figurative, I'm taking it as a literal 1,000 year reign. This 1,000 year reign, it will be similar to what it was like in the Garden of Eden. Next, get a hold of this. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3 says, Many people shall come in and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This part of the scripture of the Old Testament, this promised to ancient Israel, will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. Next, in verse 4, it goes on and talks about the saints that rule alongside of Jesus on earth for a thousand years will be doing what? What are they going to be doing? Look at what Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 says and find out. Revelation 20, verse 4 says, And I saw the thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay? The idea of judgment involves teaching and instruction and settling disputes, etc., and so forth. Just think of that. Also, the idea here is that these people will carry out the will of Jesus just as Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 indicates. He will judge between nations and, and rebuke many people. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That part is fulfilled, okay? So the question comes, why all this? Isn't the millennial reign supposed to be a paradise on earth? Now, I mean, why would they do this? Well, this the Lord's going to be ruling with a rod of iron, and the re resurrected saints of God here are going to be part of the kingdom as his regents, helping him rule and teach the people, the survivors who survive the tribulation period, okay? There is still sin in the heart of unsaved humanity who have survived. Even though things are restored into a garden-like Eden state, the human sin nature still remains in the survivors. Okay, The saints mentioned are in their glorified bodies, and they're, they're called resurrected saints. About every scholar I read in commentary talks about these are resurrected saints, meaning they have got their glorified body. And judgment is entrusted to them because they have been proven in the valley of affliction to remain true to Jesus. They are sealed true to Jesus and will not abuse their authority. With that, let's look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And you go, oh boy, am my head really uh, exploding now? What in the world about this first resurrection? What's going on? I don't understand this. This is too confusing. Well, join the club. <laughs> I mean, it took me 30 years to sort out this stuff. And it took a lot of research, a lot of prayer. And uh, I'm giving you the bottom line deal here. So look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So what we have here that people don't realize when it says this, blessed and holy is he who has parts of the first resurrection. That phrase has part 
in the Greek text and stuff and how it's written and stuff means parts of a whole. In other words, this is just not one resurrection that happens at one point in time, like many people think. In fact, David Gusick's commentary sums up what this means real quick. And I'm reading out of the Enduring Word commentary here on these verses. Revelation chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. And I quote, Donald Barnhouse says of the phrase of the first resurrection, it must be especially emphasized that our phrase in the apocalypse covering this resurrection is a retrospect that looks back over all three phases of resurrection. Number two, the first resurrection is not an event, but an order of resurrections, including all the righteous who are raised from the dead before the millennial kingdom begins. End quote. I got to tell you, folks, you don't hear much uh, things from the pulpit these days talking about the resurrection of the dead or the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead very much anymore. The resurrection of the dead involves gaining one's glorified body. You're forever sealed. That's forever saved. You're forever redeemed, just like the Bible teaches. I don't have time to go into great details, but that's the bottom line. Doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. You're going to be reunited with a glorified body. Okay. And this body is going to be something else. Jesus had a glorified body, was able to walk through walls and appear and do all kinds of things. It was amazing. So we're going to have a glorified body too at some point in time. Okay. And so there's at least four parts of the first resurrection. Now keep tracking with me. In, in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 23 to 25 mentions the first resurrection has an order to it. So what this means is that there are several installments involved in the first resurrection. It is not just one event like David Guzik has pointed out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22 through 24 out of the New King James it says, Even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Did you hear that? In his own order. In other words, there are different installments over time involving the first resurrection. The first installment came when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, right? As mentioned in Matthew chapter 27 in verses 52 and 53, where it talks about dead saints rising out of the grave and witnessing in the streets of Jerusalem. That is the first installment of the resurrection of the dead. The second installment involves the rapture, where raptured saints who are later seen riding the white horses that follow Jesus in Revelation 19. Just get a picture of that. The second installment where we receive a resurrected body comes out of the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4, where the dead in Christ rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be called up together, and thus will always be with the Lord. We'll receive a resurrected body. Okay? The second installment involves the rapture. The third installment that the Bible speaks about involves the martyred saints that come out of the great tribulation period. Okay. There's a fourth installment that people have overlooked, but a few people have mentioned this one too. There's a fourth installment of the first resurrection. Possibly, I'm saying possibly, it involves those who come to saving faith during the millennial 1000 reign of Christ up to the very end of it before the devil is released at the time when that final conflict happens. In other words, these folks will not be hurt by the second death, just like the scripture says. Look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such a second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. 
I'm going to talk more on this later, but keep tracking with me. We need to build off this important foundation so we can connect the dots to find out why the devil is going to be released for a short time. You may have to play this several times to get it, but let's go back and look at Revelations chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. And peek into the future to the events that happened at the end of the millennial reign, and we'll grasp why the devil is going to be released again. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Now why in the world would God, he has a devil in the abyss, why would he bother releasing him again? As I mentioned in the intro here, God's judgment requires a threefold witness. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6 and 7. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witnesses. The hands, the hands of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. I find that interesting because in many cases, uh, uh, a theophany of the Godhead is always talking about the hands of the Lord or the arms of the Lord. Okay, just little thing on the back burner. Just think about it. Roll it around in your head for a while. That's a freebie for you. Folks, I want you to think on this a moment. It's the Father's judgment that seals the deal here with the main perpetrator, the devil of old, who this time has no other fallen angels to hide behind because they have been judged and sentenced to the abyss. He doesn't have anybody to help him. He's going to be all alone. Why? Because they are either in the abyss or the lake of fire. That's what all his henchmen are. And, by, and they're sent there by a great cloud of witnesses that the Lord calls on. And that's us, who, like himself, have been victimized by the Ephesians 6 crowd, the principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness, and the host of weakness in heavenly places. And folks, the Ephesians 6 crowd is gone now. The devil has no scapegoats who will take the rap for him, like Azel did, who taught the secrets of heaven to humanity to corrupt them. That, that describes things about God's character traits and how to manipulate these in a vain attempt to do away with God's rule. Okay? He has no helpers here. The devil now is on his own. He has no one to hide behind. He is then released for a short time at the end of the lineal reign of Christ. Why? So let's connect some dots here and wrap this all together so you can grasp this. Again, at the end of the millennial period, Human survivors have repopulated the earth. There is still a sin nature in humanity. Therefore, the survivors of the nations need instructions from Jesus through his incorruptible saints on what is right and wrong. They start teaching them that again. But there's still a sin nature. His resurrected saints are sealed in the blood of Jesus. They cannot sin. They are you know, they are sealed. They have a, you know, their new bodies, everything like that. It's an interesting dynamic going on here. I won't get into all the details here. But the incorruptible saints will teach who God is and, and so forth, etc. You can still say the gospel in a way uh, is being still preached. I know that kind of baffles people. But you've got to understand in the millennial kingdom, people still have a sin nature because they're survivors. The incorruptible saints already have their glorified bodies and they cannot sin. So this millennial period is a period of time for healing and redemption and bringing more folks into the fold of Christ till a certain number is fulfilled that who are going to be redeemed. Look at this. The prophet Jonah said this in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 out of the New King James. 
Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So, folks, I need to give you the backdrop of the story of Jonah. He was a reluctant prophet. He did not want to go to Nineveh and, and do what God told him to do to preach repentance, okay? If they would repent of their deeds, God would relent from doing harm. And, and he knew what he just admitted here, that if he did that, do what, did what God told him to do, these people would repent. But he did not want to do that. Why? Because Nineveh was an extremely wicked city. It deserved the full wrath of God. So he fled because he knew God always offers forgiveness to those who repent up to the time of wrath. He's willing to do that. This is a testimony of that. Likewise, during the seven-year tribulation period, God offers many chances to repent. That is his nature. That is his character. He is that just. So when people reject God's offer of salvation and repentance and forgiveness of sins and all that in the, during the tribulation period, game's over for them. However, a few will repent because it talks about tribulation saints and people getting saved in there, like I explained in earlier episodes of the series. So with that, here's what happened with Jonah here. Uh, God also spoke that Nineveh would be destroyed, and he would have rather been the prophet to pronounce doom and gloom over the uh, inhabitants of Nineveh. But God said, I'm going to offer them one last chance, and guess what happened? Nineveh repented, and Jonah complained about it, okay? Well, God still kept his word about wiping out the wicked city of Nineveh later on. His whole word was fulfilled. Why? After a few generations have passed away, these folks in Nineveh forgot about God, forgot about Jonah's message, and returned to their old ways. So God destroyed the city as he said he would. He carried it out. But he always offers forgiveness, just like he do does during the tribulation period. God is faithful to perform his word and, re and remains true to his word spoken in Genesis chapter 6-7. This is why this is important. Listen to what it says out of Genesis chapter 6 verse 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. However, God saved eight in the ark of Jesus, thus showing mercy to those who come to Jesus and are born again, having their rebellious nature cured through the Holy Spirit work of sanctification in the human heart. With that, when God speaks, it's going to be established. It's going to be fulfilled, and all the righteous who are saved are going to be protected. Just keep that principle in your back of your mind. That's been established in Scripture. That is a biblical principle. God offers forgiveness. And then the judgment comes. Listen carefully again to Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Now the real culprit, the devil, is all alone, like I said earlier. He has no helpers, so he makes converts, human converts, to hide behind in order to carry out his plan to overthrow God in one last try, just like the Baal cycle and the creation stories of the pagan world teach. But this time it is against God in his full manifest glory. Look at Revelation chapter 20 verse 8. And it talks about the devil. It's going to go about to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is like the sand of the sea, or as the sand of the sea, depending on your translation. I'm reading out of the New King James. 
Now people say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't the Gog-Magog invasion before Jesus' second coming, before the millennial reign? And the short answer is yes and no. Let me explain. It's no because it is not the invasion seen in Ezekiel chapter 36 through 39 here that that, that talks about, because that comes before the second coming of Jesus. However, there is a prophetic patterns that are seen in the past through history and finalized in the future. These patterns are seen in prophetic scripture. Just as Jesus said, how to understand the book of Revelation is to look at the past, look at the flow of history, and look to understand what's going on in the future. In other words, history is going to repeat itself. So when you read the name Gog and Magog here, it refers to a future event. The past event that happens before Jesus' second coming, before the millennial reign, has already occurred. That's talked about in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36 through 39. So the prophetic pattern is going to repeat again in the future. And the names Gog and Magog confuse people when they study Bible prophecy. So let me share my take on all this and look at something that a lot of people overlooks and we need to consider this the meaning of the names of gog and magog and plug them in because they will reveal a story and understand why this is not the ezekiel 39 gog and magog invasion but this is a new gog and magog invasion so you understand the meaning of the names and you'll get it here so the names gog and magog have meanings gog means a high mountain a rooftop a high covering Recall that first Enoch, where the fallen watchers did what? They made a pact on what? A mountain. So Gog means high mountain top, a place of a covering, a place of an oath. Okay, that's very interesting, isn't it? Magog means the land or people of the high mountains who made the oath, who live high on the hog, so to speak. So maybe some oath was made to carry out by this time by the devil alone to a sin-natured humanity who after a few generations like they did in the days of Jonah uh, began to rebel again all on their own. Okay. But this time God the Father in his full manifest glory will destroy the devil once and for all, all as that third witness needed to destroy the author of all evil once and for all justly because the devil has no wiggle room this time to escape. The devil does not have the harlot system to hide behind. He doesn't have any of his fallen angel henchmen to hide behind. He has no demons to hide behind. So what the devil will do is he will use fallen human beings to hide behind, whom God said in Genesis chapter 6, he will destroy. That will be fulfilled. Now you catch the wisdom of God on this. The devil can't hide behind humanity to escape what God already decreed will come to pass. Think of it, folks, for a second. The survivors of the catastrophes that they went through through the tribulation period, they are now living in paradise. They have it made in the shade. Eventually, they will resent this and rebel against God who has proven to them how good and merciful and kind he is. Even the animals are at peace. God's words and promises to Israel have been fulfilled to the T during the millennial reign too. So just think about all that. Just think about nothing deadly is going to harm anybody. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of water. There's plenty of shelter. There's, it's all goodness. Everything is freely given by God. But after a few generations, they reject all this. God foresaw this and has redeemed resurrected saints 
who can't sin are still offering mercy and teaching forgiveness but these individuals begin to get resentful and reject it just like human sin nature does and after this the devil is released at this time he makes a pact he leads a rebellion but this time doesn't have his fallen angel hierarchy or his demonic hordes to help him so let me say this this is my best guess that i came up with by connecting the dots from scripture it is possible that the devil will raise up new ministers and representative leaders all under his thumb who made a pact with him who will speak the devil's words about a new form of social justice to be had by becoming free from god he will seduce humanity who after a thousand years of having it made in the shade had it similar to what adam and eve lived in seduced to toss it all away in exchange for a lie in order to control it all history repeats itself there are prophetic patterns in scriptures even in genesis chapter three concerning adam and eve's fall here so these individuals are seduced to believe they can take the world away from god's right hand jesus christ by humiliating the resurrected saints of god claiming these people are oppressors of freedom because they judge and teach what righteousness means you need to do evil because evil is fun you know that, that, that same scenario is going to be enacted again so possibly the redeemed resurrected saints will be removed from power by these deceitful workers forcing them to seek safety in the camps of the saints and also in the beloved city jerusalem where jesus is look at revelation chapter 20 verse 9 and see if you see this scenario and it says they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from god out of heaven and devoured them fire came down from god just like it is written in second peter chapter three ten but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up in fact i bet you didn't know not many people do that the book of nahum the prophet nahum in nahum chapter one verses five through fifteen that reveal exactly what i'm talking about so let's read this nahum chapter 1 verse 5 through 15 verse 5 says the mountains quake before him the hills melt and the earth heaves at his presence yes the world and all who dwell in it verse 6 who can stand before his indignation who can endure the fierceness of his anger his fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him look at verse 7 here the lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble and he knows those who trust in him now compare verse 7 in nahum with revelation chapter 20 verse 9 and they went up from the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from god out of heaven and devoured them and second peter 3 7 says and the heaven and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men genesis chapter 19 verses 20 4 and 25 says this keep tracking with me then the lord rained brimstone and fire on sodom and gomorrah from the lord out of heaven so he overthrew those cities so it says the lord from heaven rained down fire from the lord on earth this is why when i look at the study of scriptures here the two angels that went into sodom and gomorrah i will contend that is the holy spirit and jesus and the Holy Spirit and the pre-incarnate Jesus went in there 
And, you know, the word angel is malak. It means a messenger. It can be an angelic messenger or it can be a theophany of the Godhead. And this is exactly what happened here. Because it says, And the Lord rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. So you have the Lord on the ground and out of heaven. Think about it. Just, just think about it. With that, keep tracking with me. Look at Second Peter chapter 2. 2 verse 6 and 7 and turning the cities of sodom and gomorrah into ashes condemned them to destruction making them example to those afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked jesus mentions in luke chapter 17 verse 29 as it was in the days of lot now back to nahum chapter 1 verse 8 through 11 but with an overflowing flood he, God's going to make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns, and while drunken like drunkards, he shall devour like stubble, fully dried. Verse 11. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Let's unpack these verses here. I want you to compare these verses, especially verse 11, for comes forth from you one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Compare that with Revelations chapter 20, verse 7 and 8 out of the New King James. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Look at Nahum chapters 1, verses 12 through 14. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe, and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I'll afflict you no more. For now I'll break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. This is the God the Father speaking here. Okay, just keep tracking with me. Look at verse 14. And the Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods I'll cut off the carved images and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Compare this with Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 okay and find out who he's talking about and it says here the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever you folks our heavenly father in his full manifested glory ushers in the final threefold witness against the devil and all human evil and it ends justly once and for all amidst masses of cries of offers of forgiveness to humanity the devil cannot be forgiven he 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 blasphemed the holy spirit there's no forgiveness in that get the picture the saints are retreat into the camps or they go into the holy city jerusalem just think about that think of what it's saying here after this the final 50th jubilee begins and never ends where there is no more sin rebellion evil it'll never be seen again there will be no affliction just like it says in nahum there there will be affliction will not arise a second time it's not going to rise again ever again so look at this Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face of the earth and heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. Look, folks, the earth and the heavens have fled away, just as Nahum chapter 1, verse 7 says. The Lord is a stronghold. He knows who trusts him. Thus the faithful are protected in the camps of the righteous and the great city Jerusalem, while the new heavens and earth are being made. They're almost like... 
like Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace. They're not burned. I know this is pretty heavy. Just keep tracking with me. Next is the great white throne judgment of the unsaved happens. So Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 13. The sea gave up its dead who were in it, and death and Hades were delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, folks, this is a heavy stuff to unpack right now. This is the final judgment involves being cast into the lake of fire. So you have here, Everybody who died ungodly is going to be resurrected and receive their new body. Because God doesn't show personal favoritism. If we got a glorified body, they'll get a glorified body. But this time, it's going to be a corrupted body. And it's not going to be glorified. And there, with that physical body, united with their spiritual being, they're going to be cast alive with the devil and all his minions and demons in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And ever and that is a long time and anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire so the question comes will there be any found during the great white throne judgment whose names are written in the book of life to me personally it does not appear so however where the confusion comes is what about those who are not deceived at the end of the thousand year reign when of jesus and stayed in the camps of the lord i'm only speculating here and um, all I can say is these folks may be part of the last part of the first resurrection. Okay? I do not know for certain, but in the light of God's nature, as mentioned in Nahum chapter 1, verse 15, it might be possible where God always offers forgiveness, just like he says this in Nahum chapter 1, verse 15. Behold, on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast. Perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. This is in direct reference to the end times. So behold, on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good tidings, who proclaim peace, or the gospel. That goes back to a proclamation in Romans chapter 10. All the way up to this point, of anyone before the white throne has a chance to get saved, okay? Because there's good tidings. That's why I'm saying that. That's why I speculate that they're possibly up to that point. But not after the second. Not You're not going to be saved at all in the white throne judgment. But those people who possibly took refuge in the camps of the Lord possibly will be part of that first resurrection. Because that would fit. Because they're protected by the Lord. And then the second part of it says, Oh Judah, keep your appointed feast. Wow. The final jubilee begins, and the new heavens and earth. Wow. Then next part says, Perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. The wicked one's the devil. So the final jubilee is ushered in, just as Revelation 21 reveals. When the land is finally purified and returned back to God's appointed co-owners of the earth, that's us, the redeemed saints. More on that next time, but for now, let me roll out this video with my contact and support info. And remember, the lake of fire, folks, is no joke. God offers and offers and offers, please and please, and gives good tidings, good news, all, all, 
all the time, even through the tribulation period, to return to him and avoid this place. But people always end up rejecting this of their own free moral will. They just don't want God. They keep rejecting him. They think they know better. They bought the devil's lie. So I'm going to ask each of you, please don't be one of those today. So with that, I just ask you to pray with me if you feel like you need the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me. I'm a mess. I made a mess of life. Change me. Make me born again. In Jesus' name, I come to you. Save me. In Jesus' name. Now, I ask if you prayed that prayer or something, get on your knees and start talking to God and, and pour out your heart before him and make it right between God and you. In Jesus' name, avoid that lake of fire today. With that, you guys who are listening, be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.